As you know, if you've been with us the last few weeks here at Calamesa, we have been on a journey. A journey to the cross. A journey with the gospel writer Mark. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to pick one of these bookmarks up. Have you had that opportunity? There hopefully may be some in the pews here. Um, but if you don't have one, I'd invite you, there should be some also in the back um, as you leave today. These bookmarks are um, just a, a helpful tool for you as we go through our sermon series so that you'll know where we are and what we're going to be preaching about the following week. Um, we invite you to study along with us. We know that in the short time that we have here on Sabbath morning, we're not going to be able to cover everything that we would like to cover in these chapters. But we want to invite you to, to do that on your own, to do that at home, maybe in small groups. Um, take some time to be with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Take some time to be alone with him. Listen to his words. Observe his actions. And figure out what it means to be his disciple. So we're here today and we're on week three. Actually, week four, I'm sorry. Week four, but we're working out of the texts for week three. Um, Mark 9 through 10. And I have the privilege this morning of, of starting there. Before we get into the text this morning, though, I'd like to ask you a simple question. Have you ever had trouble seeing you ever had difficulty seeing? Um, anybody tell me what this picture is of? Need some help today. What was that? A road? A roadside? Good guess. Oh, we're getting a little clearer. Something wrong with this picture? A little out of focus? You were close. It's it's a sidewalk. Any idea what this picture is? It's a sidewalk that's been painted on. Perhaps you've seen these pictures circling around the internet. Have you? Go back to that first picture. These are the same pictures from a little different perspective. It's pretty amazing. Um, these images are done by two artists, Julian Beaver and Kurt Wenner. And the images are actually true. They are authentic. When you look at them from certain angles, they look distorted and uh, obtuse, perhaps. But if you shift your perspective, they stand out. They actually almost become alive. Amazing works of art. The, this is actually an art form known as anamorphism in which a picture is distorted so it assumes a normal appearance when viewed from a specific viewpoint. That's my favorite right there. Looks like they're actually, yeah, actually there. Isn't that cool? The Gospel of Mark leads us to an idea today, an idea that I want to spend the rest of our time on. It's actually just one word. It's the word found in the title there of the sermon. The word is clarity. Clarity. Seeing things clearly. The problem with the first picture we saw was that it was out of focus. The focus was wrong. But then actually when the focus 
we got the focus figured out, we still had a problem with the picture because our perspective was wrong. The place where we were standing was wrong. Clarity is accomplished by those two ideas. Having the right focus and having the right perspective or the right place to stand to view something. It's amazing as you read through the Gospel of Mark that subtly sometimes or overtly at other times, Jesus weaves this idea of bringing clarity to his people. Jesus came, I believe, for two basic purposes. The first and foremost was to bring salvation to us, to humanity, to repair the the break between me and God, God and I, to bring reconciliation to the human race. That's why Jesus came. But secondarily, and maybe of equal importance, Jesus came to bring clarity. Because when sin happened, sin has distorted everything in this world, as you and I know. It's distorted the way we see things, the way we understand things. It's distorted everything. And Jesus came not just to provide salvation for us and eternal life in the future, but Jesus came to bring clarity here and now so you and I can actually go through life with a different perspective, a different understanding, that you and I can live in the kingdom of God even while we're stuck in the kingdom of this earth to give clarity. I'd like to invite you as as we jump into our passages this morning, to have that in mind, and actually as you work through the whole book of Mark, this idea of clarity. Two questions I think we can ask ourselves when we spend some time in a story or a teaching of Jesus. The two questions that have been helpful for me are, number one, how does Jesus want to bring clarity to my life? about who God is. Because I have to think of everything else, everything that's been distorted, the one thing that's been distorted the most is the picture of God. I mean, you look around, I mean, millions, I don't know about millions, but hundreds and thousands of not only denominations, but world religions and people trying to figure out who God is. It's, it's, it's the, the search of every heart, I believe. To really know who is this God? Is there a God? And Jesus came to bring clarity to that. So I think the first question you and I can ask ourselves is, when we read a story of Jesus, what is Jesus showing us about who God is? How can can I get a clear picture of who God is? And the second question, as we read through the stories, the second question is, how can I gain clarity over what God's agenda is in this world. Because something that has been distorted as equally as much is God's purposes for humanity. The plan that God has for you and I. The way we should live our lives. The way we should treat each other. The way we should be in this world. God's agenda. So as we go through these two chapters, and unfortunately we're not going to have enough time I um, went through it and figured out that we actually have 11 different stories 
or teachings. And 11 times 10 minutes apiece. We'll be out here by 1.30. You guys up for that? I guess it's the 1st of April. Yeah. How do you preach on April Fool's? How does anybody trust what you say on April Fool's? It's the only day around that you can actually lie and get away with it, right? Ah, April Fool's. No lying. Let's start at the end, shall we? End of chapter 10, and then we'll continue with the beginning, and then we'll end with the end. How about that? End of chapter 10, Jesus encounters a man, Jesus' disciples, and together with a large crowd, it says, starting in verse 46 of chapter 10, they came to Jericho, and Jericho, as you remember, was a city not too far from Jerusalem. They were heading to Jerusalem. They were on the way, on the way to Jerusalem. And actually, Jerusalem is where um, Jesus would be tried and, and eventually crucified. And so in these, in these stories, in these passages, you can sense kind of an urgency on the part of Jesus, a, a realization that, that the end is near. And so as he speaks and encounters people, he's very clear. They came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving that city. Not sure what they did in Jericho. doesn't really say. But as they were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of Nazareth! Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Can you picture the scene? Dusty road, a lot of people. This voice rising above the crowds. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up! Rebuked him. What are you doing? Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. Notice how quickly their story changed? Cheer up, on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, tossing it aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Rather strange question, don't you think? A blind man. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is a second story in the book of Mark where Jesus heals someone who is blind. This narrative, healing narratives. There have been numerous ones so far. Narratives in the, in the Gospel of John where Jesus chooses to heal people, to heal their physical ailments. But if we were to ask the question of ourselves in this story, those two questions, what is Jesus showing me about the character of God? And what is Jesus showing me about the agenda of God in this world? What would you say? What would you say? 
I'd like to put your thoughts on hold there for a minute and go to the beginning. Go to the beginning of chapter 9. Here we encounter Jesus. Jesus taking just three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John with him, taking them up a mountainside and um, having an unusual experience. We pick it up in verse 2. Um, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Transfigured basically means changed. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any in the world, anyone in the world could bleach them. They haven't met my, met, met my grandma. But that must have been pretty white. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Can you picture the scene? Jesus, brilliant white. I don't know if it was at night or during the day. But it was astonishing to the disciples. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? I have no idea. Maybe they said, hey, I'm Moses, I'm Elijah. They were talking with Jesus. But the question that keeps coming to my mind is why? Why did this happen? And why did this happen with just three disciples? Did it happen for Jesus' sake? Did Jesus need to be reassured and and reaffirmed? Possibly. Did it happen for those three disciples' sakes? Possibly. Just before, you'll remember last week, Pastor Chris um, told told the narrative of Peter and Peter's proclamation that when people ask who I am, who do they who do they say I am? And Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ. And it seems like he said it kind of haltering, kind of, I, I believe, but boy, it's hard for me to say maybe. Could it be that the disciples needed to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was divine? Sure, they had seen many miracles. Sure, they had witnessed many signs. But just like you and I, disciples sometimes are hard to convince and were pretty thick-headed. And could it be that they needed this assurance that Jesus was truly the Son of God? Because then the voice came, verse 7, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Could it be that Jesus was trying to bring clarity about who God is and that God is not the tyrannical, judgmental, dictator far away, but that God is the loving Father who sends his loving only Son into this world to redeem his children. Do you catch that picture of God in this story? This God who is the God of the past, the God of Moses, of Elijah, 
This God who has been from the beginning. This God who is present. And this God who will continue on to the future. Do you get this picture of God? Clarity. Clarity. Then, when they come down from the mountain, they um, encounter something that brings them back very quickly into the reality that they're not living in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of this world. Group of people surrounding the rest of the disciples that are down there, a boy and his father. And this, and this distraught look on the face of the disciples, this, this boy is a demon, he has an evil spirit, we can't cast him out. Jesus, what do we do? And listen to the Father's request of Jesus. Listen to the Father. Verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Sometimes the spirit would throw him into the water, sometimes into the fire trying to kill him. From his childhood, it's thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This is Jesus. Listen to what he says. If you can... Huh? If you can? Are you not clear yet? Have you not seen enough yet? Were you not fed by food that came from nowhere? If you can? The, uh, The thing that Jesus wants us to be clear about, I believe, is that God can do anything. God can do anything. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And the spirit was rebuked and left. I think it's clear that Jesus wants you and I to know and one of the disciples to know that he came to bring life and healing and wholeness. God is all about those things. It is not God who brings sickness and death and suffering it's the enemy that brings those. God is the God of life. They go on. They come to Capernaum, verse 33. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing on in the road? Hmm. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Well, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first... He must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. It's almost as if Jesus is taking the disciples, picking them up, turning them, and having them look at the picture from a different angle. 
changing their perspective. So you and I are really quick to say, well, these disciples, they're, haven't they learned already? They're arguing about who's the greatest? I mean, come on. But think about it. If you were hand-chosen by the most powerful person that you would ever known in your life, that you walked around with this person and watched them exercise enormous authority, heal, deliver from demons, calm the waters, make bread out of nothing. If you had been in that kind of power, that kind of presence, doesn't it kind of rub off a little bit? And don't you start to feel the pull that you want some of that power yourself? And don't you start to feel some of the insecurities about who you are draw you to that desire to be powerful like that, to be respected like that, to be admired like that, to have people look at you like that? I think if you and I were honest with ourselves, we would say, yeah, that would be nice. It would be nice. He takes a child, sits it on his lap. This is what my kingdom is about. You want clarity about God's agenda in the world? This, this child right here, is what my kingdom is about. This child knows how to live life with abandon. This child knows how to trust without assuming anything. This child simply comes just as they are. This child this child They move on, story after story. I'd like to kind of settle on chapter 10. I wish we had time to, to get through all of the stories. But chapter 10 and verse 13, Jesus was bringing little children, or people were bringing little children to Jesus to have them touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. What do you imagine a rebuke would be? What do you think they said? <laughs> Have you ever heard a child being rebuked? You stupid. How could you? What were you thinking? Hopefully you children in here haven't heard those words. You may have been rebuked a little more gently. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they rebuked him. The disciples, get out of here. Jesus is busy, can't you see? Doesn't have time. Jesus saw this. He was indignant. What do you imagine when you hear that word? Indignant. This isn't Jesus meek and mild in a little manger in the stable. 
This is fury, indignant. Jesus was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Can you hear Jesus saying, you want clarity about what God is like? This is what God is like. And he scoops up the children. And he embraces them. And he loves on them. And he affirms their value and their worth. The very least of these. Because as in some societies today, their society, children were pretty much among the least. They had to grow up and develop and, and become of age before their voice counted, before they were listened to. There was a definite hierarchy, a social order, and children, well, children just didn't matter a whole lot. And Jesus is saying, that's not what my kingdom is about. My kingdom is about valuing every single human being, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how gray or how undeveloped. My kingdom is about value. I, um, I had an experience that I probably will never forget. It was when I was a youth pastoring down at Campus Hill, I took a group of, of youth down to Mexico for a mission trip. And we went down to um, Ensenada, just south of Ensenada. Um, mission trips are great. I, I love them. Uh, things happen you don't expect. <laughs> Lives are changed in, in uh, various ways. But we, uh, we had a little break from our work, and we decided to go to a place called La Bufadora. I don't know if anybody's been there before, but it's a really neat place where the water comes up and, and um, the pressure builds and, and it, and it uh, explodes through um, a hole in the rock, and it's just, it's just really neat. There's a lot of shops there. We pulled up um, in our van, and all the kids just tumbled out, and um, there's, there was a little cliff area there that kind of looked to drop down over to the uh, ocean. And various people were sitting there eating picnics, whatever. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught sight of a family, and, and I, there was some disturbances going on. And I, um, I turned my head to look, and I'll never forget this scene. There was a woman, a, a little child, probably about five or six years old, um, doing what five and six-year-olds sometimes do, being loud and... Um, Anyway, she must have pushed some buttons that she um, probably regretted afterwards, but the woman, I assume it was her mother, reached down and grabbed her by her hair, and she led her to the side of the cliff and held her over the cliff by her hair. Her feet were on the ground, but she was leaning out over the cliff, screaming her head off. Mother was saying something to her, I don't know, I couldn't understand. And that image of that little child growing up 
I think it's safe to use the word indignant. Could it be, could it be that Jesus wants to remind you and I that the value of a life is not in the days that they have lived? Could it be that Jesus wants to give us clarity that the value of a life is not in the accomplishments that are made, in the things that are done, Could it be that Jesus wants to give you and I clarity that the value of a life is directly from the heart of God? The value of a life is directly from the heart of God. These stories, they challenge me. They give me new perspectives. They give me new ways of thinking about my family, about my relationships. They give me new ideas of what it means to follow this Jesus around. I'd like to move on to the end where we began. They came to Jericho, Bartimaeus, yelling out. That guy had some guts, didn't he? People telling you to shut up and be quiet. You don't care. You still yell. Because you know you've got nothing to lose. You've got absolutely nothing to lose. You're going to be blind, no matter if you yell or not. You really don't care what people think about you anymore because people really haven't thought much about you anyway. So you just yell. And he yelled and he yelled because he had one desire, and that was simply to be able to see. This man wanted clarity, he wanted to be able to see his friends if he had any. He wanted to be able to see the food that he ate. He wanted to be able to see the trees and the flowers. He wanted to be able to see. And if you've never lost your sight, you don't know what that's like to want to see so badly. And he was driven. And Jesus calls him and he jumps to his feet and he came to Jesus probably hands outstretched I don't know how he knew where he was going maybe somebody took him by the arm but he came to Jesus and and then he heard something that he may not have ever heard in his life he heard these words what do you want me to do for you what What do you want me to do for you? Do you get the picture of a God who stands before you and who asks you that same question? 
simply because he values what you think and what you want and the deepest desires of your heart? If Jesus came and was standing before you and asked that question of you, what do you want me to do for you? What would the deepest cry of your heart be? What would it be? Things always take on a different perspective when you lose. I imagine Buddy and Jessica would say, Jesus, we want our chase back. We want our son. What would you say? Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. Jesus stands before you today. He stands before you wanting to know what you want from him. I imagine he doesn't really care if it's selfish or not. He knows your heart. But I imagine he wants to know. And he wants you to seek after him. Do you really want to see this morning? Do you really want to see with the eyes of God? Do you really want to have clarity of who you are, of who God is? Do you really want to see? And before you answer too quickly, seeing sometimes makes life a little more challenging. Seeing sometimes pushes you in directions that may be a little more uncomfortable. About seeing situations differently. And not being content to just sit quietly. Do you want to see?
Jesus, we follow you because you are the life giver. 
you have brought us life. And we say thank you. Jesus, we follow you because this world is awfully confusing. And things aren't often always clear. But you have the words of life, Jesus. And you have spoken promises to us. And you have, you have lifted us up, God, to different perspectives, to different ways of seeing and understanding. So Jesus, please teach us how to trust you. Teach us how to walk with you. Jesus, teach us how to love like you love us. We pray this in your name.